You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Good to see all of you here this morning. We are continuing in our sermon series called Holy Sweat. We've been walking through the gospel of Mark together, and we're in Mark chapter 6. I don't want to waste any time with the introduction this morning. There's so many great stories uh, in Mark chapter 6. Some of them will sound very familiar to you. If you grew up in church or at vacation Bible school as a kid or in Sunday school, uh, the feeding of the 5,000, we're going to get to that today. In a lot of ways, I hope that we can practice what we hear today, ways that we can apply God's word to our lives this very week. So Mark chapter 6 is where we are. We're going to begin in verse 1. And once we get there, I'll give you a little context of of what is happening. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. So he went away from there and came to his hometown. That's kind of vague, so let me help unpack that. He, meaning Jesus, went away from there, was Capernaum, and his hometown was, was Nazareth. Um, I know sometimes in our minds we kind of get Bible geography maybe mixed up or it seems like this, this huge you know, map uh, in the back of our Bibles. We don't understand exactly where everything is. Well, it's really amazing how close everything happened, how, how much in, in Israel that all the towns that we read about are so close in proximity. So really Nazareth is just 30 miles southwest of, of Capernaum. Capernaum is on the Sea of Galilee. So you go 30 miles southwest from there and you are there in, in Nazareth. So it was only uh, 30 miles, so it's like from Waco to, to Hillsborough. And it would take maybe about an, an eight hour journey or so to, to walk that. And so Jesus and disciples, they, they leave from Capernaum and they go to his hometown, Nazareth. And his disciples, they followed him there. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And, and many who heard him were astonished. Your Bible might use the word amazed right there, saying, where did this man get these things? And, and what is the wisdom given to him? And, and how are such mighty works done by his hands? Now, those are all great questions, but the questions are about to, to be downgraded in scope here. He, they digress here in verse 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Isn't it just, just the brother of James and Joseph and, and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And, and we know that they were looking down because this next phrase, and they took offense at him. Isn't this interesting and ironic that they were offended by the ordinariness of Jesus? I mean, he's just some guy from, from here. Like we know his brothers. We knew him growing up. We, his sisters are here right now. They were offended that Christ would come back to his, to his hometown. So look what Jesus says. And Jesus said to them, those who were offended with disbelief, he said, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, and I'll be more specific than that, among his relatives, and more specific than that, even those in his own household. Now Nazareth, you know, I want us to understand, it, it kind of was a, a nothing place. A Nazareth was just found in about 60 acres of a rocky hillside on a road to nowhere. And when Nathaniel hears about Jesus of Nazareth in, in John chapter 1, he says, Nazareth, like what, what good comes out of Nazareth? It was, it was a, a nowhere place with, with nobody people inhabiting it. And if you grew up in, in the town like this for 30 years, you would know people. Now, uh, theologians and archaeologists both believe that Nazareth at the time of Jesus it was probably just around the population of 500 people. So if you grow up for 30 years in a town of 500, you know everybody and everybody knows you. And look what Jesus says here. They're 
a prophet is not without honor except when he comes home and is among his relatives and even among those in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there. Now, either that was his own volition, his choice, maybe it was the father's choice, but he could do nobody work there. But I love what Mark then says, except, well, he did lay his hands on a few sick people and healed them. You know, there's that. I mean, he did, he did heal some people. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. But, But catch that one more time, if you will. He marveled, verse six, he marveled because of their unbelief. Now, Jesus in the Gospels, does not marvel, nor is he astonished or amazed, except for two times. Once right here, and the other time in the Gospel of Luke, when he marveled and was astonished at the faith of the centurion. Now, people were astonished at Jesus and marveled at Jesus and were amazed at Jesus all the time. In fact, I counted 32 times in the Gospels this week that people sat back with amazement. They were just astonished at Jesus, but Jesus is never amazed. Jesus is never astonished. Jesus never marvels at anything except two things in all the Gospels, the faith of the centurion, and right here, he marveled at their unbelief. He was amazed at how unbelieving, how lacking in faith they were. Highland, have have you noticed throughout the Gospels that no one responds to Jesus moderately? No one kind of feels a little warm fuzzies about him. They either, they want to kill him or plot to kill him or disbelieve him or throw him out of town or throw him over a precipice or think that he's crazy or they fall to his feet in absolute surrender and worship him as king and call him Lord. There's really no moderation in the scriptures when Jesus comes on the scene. They fall before him or they think that he's crazy. They can't get enough of him or they want to chase him out of town. He is either despised or worshiped all throughout the gospels. But you can't, Highland, you can't simply like Jesus. There's no biblical option for us to kind of feel mildly about him. All throughout the scriptures... We see that we can't, and people aren't casual about Jesus. There's no warm, mushy middle when it comes to Jesus. You can either roll your eyes at him, or you can fall down on your feet, or on, before his feet, on your knees before him, or the option, third option we have really is not an option at all. You can just shrug your shoulders, and really there was no shoulder shrugging in the Bible. People that rolled their eyes and walked away or they fell down at his feet and worshiped him. You either despise him or you worship him. No one responds to Jesus moderately throughout the gospel. Look at Mark uh, chapter six. Let's pick it up here in, in verse seven. And so he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. Now why, why two by two? I could preach a whole sermon on this because lone Christians fall apart. Lone Christians, they just crumble. And if you trace the gospels and always watch when the disciples are being sent out, they always go out in six groups of two or four groups of three. There was this power in this, in this partnership of, of ministry. And so he called them, them out and sent them out two by two and gave them authority over the, clean, the unclean spirits. And he charged them, I love this, he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no food, no bag, no luggage, no money in their belts. 
Just wear sandals. Don't even wear two tunics, he said. Don't even put on two tunics. Just wear the one uh, um, outer, outer shell, one jacket with you. That's all you get. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, you stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, just shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them, which is probably why Jesus kind of did the same thing in Nazareth. He was just kind of giving the disciples a little example of what it looks like when people shake their head in disbelief and don't want to hear anything. Jesus said, okay, just, just, just walk away. He says, here, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. There's a lot of things we could pull out there from verse 8 to, to verse 11. Let me just let me make sure we understand this, especially in light of the sermon series that we we're in called Holy Sweat. Don't miss this. Jesus put his disciples into a situation right here in verse 8, 9, 10, 11, where they were dependent upon the hospitality and the care and the compassion of other people. Jesus put them in such a position where he said to them, don't bring food, don't bring any luggage, don't bring any bags with you, don't bring any money with you whatsoever. Wear only your sandals and the one shirt, the one, one over cover that you have with you. That is all that you can bring. Jesus was putting his disciples in a place where they were dependent upon the compassion and the hospitality of others for other people to open up their house for them to eat, to open up their homes for them to have a sleep, to have a bed to sleep in, for them to open up their homes for them to have a roof over their head. Jesus was putting his disciples in such a place that God was going to have to call up the kindness of other people to give food and provide bedding and give a roof. They were dependent upon God finding people and calling up people with with open hearts and open homes to have the disciples come in and preach this gospel. Look at Mark chapter 6 verse 12. And so they went out. And they proclaimed that people should repent. People should turn away from their old lifestyle and should turn toward Jesus. And they cast out many demons that anointed with oil many who were sick and, and healed them. Now here in the middle of Mark chapter 6, Mark places the beheading of John the Baptist right in the middle of this. It must have happened somewhere around this time. So chronologically, maybe this is when, uh, when the, the writer, when Mark the writer began to just put that in. He remembers that from, from Peter's, uh, Peter's instruction and Peter's memory that this is about the time that it happened. So we're going to skip that. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a, well, it's not a great story. It's a chilling story. But if you want to go back and read that this week, it goes from uh, verse 14 all the way to verse, uh, to verse 29. Um, I'm not skipping it because of my first name or the denomination that I'm a part of, but certainly the beheading of John the Baptist doesn't sound too appealing to me uh, this very morning. But we're going to jump here to, to verse 30 instead. So here, the, the apostles have gone out and now they've returned to Jesus. So the apostles returned to Jesus and they're so excited. They told him all that they had done and told Jesus all that they had taught. And then Jesus said to them, come away by yourselves then to a desolate place and, and rest for a while. These, Jesus saw in the disciples how, how exhausted they must be. They have done all these things. And, and just for you to know, this is back at Capernaum now. We know that with the context of the boat here in just a little bit. So they have traveled around probably Nazareth and back toward the Sea of Galilee and they're casting out demons and they're, they're anointing people and people are being healed and they're preaching the gospel of, of Jesus, the gospel of repentance and people are, are turning to Christ and they return to Jesus so excited. And then Jesus says to them in verse 31, then come away by yourselves to this desolate place and, and rest for a while for, this is really important, for many were coming and going and I underline this in my Bible. This will be important later on. And they had no leisure even to eat. Mark that as important. They were so busy healing, casting out demons, preaching the gospel, going two by two, door to door, telling others about this Christ who is 
God's son who is the promise himself. They didn't even have the free time. That's what leisure means. The free time even to eat. And they, they went away in the boat to this desolate place by themselves. And this sounds so relaxing until you get to verse 33. Verse 33 says, now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So can, you can see this scene, can't you? The disciples are worn out, haven't even had time to eat. There's no free time to eat. And people are coming and people are going and they're asking for things, they're needing things. And Jesus says, I see how exhausted you are. Why don't you come and come get on the boat and let's just kind of go to a desolate place. Let's go to the other side. And all of these villages surrounding the Sea of Galilee, they're watching and they recognize that's Jesus. They recognize that's the disciples. And so they just run on foot to where they think that boat's gonna dock. Obedience is tiring. I don't mean that it's tiresome, nor do I say that obedience is burdensome, nor am I saying that obedience is boring. I'm just giving you a reminder this morning, Highland, that the faithful are often exhausted because they give and they and they go. And I want you to see in this passage here, maybe I, maybe I should have put a warning label on this sermon series. Holy sweat may cause drowsiness. Because when you serve, it, it can be exhausting. It can be tiring. And we see that here in the lives of the disciples. They thought they had a break. They thought that the people were going and then the no time for food was about to end. And they're, they're headed to a place where there's even more people now because everyone is sprinting around the Sea of Galilee to get to the place where they're about, about to dock. And maybe this is a, a bigger upper picture for us all this morning. Uh, Highland, there is a cost to discipleship. There's a cost to following Jesus and the disciples were learning that right here in this passage. They were learning that in verse 30 through verse 33 that, 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 that following Jesus can be exhausting. It can be tiring because here's what obedience is. Obedience is death to self. Ministry is taxing. Giving can be exhausting. You know, everyone wants to be a leader until they realize how much it costs. Everyone wants to be a follower of Jesus until they realize how much it costs. This is why Jesus said, hey, before you follow me, you need to consider the cost. No, it will cost you to be a follower of me, Jesus says. Obedience can be tiring, but let's move on. Look at verse 34 because this is, man, this is the, the, the deep part, or at least where we feel it the most deeply. Verse, verse 34 so when he, Jesus, went ashore and he, ashore and he saw that great crowd. We knew there was going to be a great, great crowd. They'd been running around the lake to get there. And when he went ashore, he saw this great crowd. And this part puts a lump in my throat every time. I'll see if I can make it through it. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. What they're really saying is there's no restaurants here. There's nothing happening at all. This is a, a dead place. And the hour is now late. Send them away. I love how the disciples just decided to take charge. Send them away, Jesus, to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And I love Jesus' response. But Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. First of all, I'll go back to, I gotta rewind to that part where we just see Jesus displaying this incredible compassion. Here's what I want to say to you. Outright compassion overrides personal preferences. Hear me clearly, Highland. The suffering of people causes Jesus to suffer. 
The pain in others causes a pain in our Lord Jesus. The reason I get choked up in this passage right here is because I know, as you know, how exhausting life can be and how long the to-do list is. And all of a sudden, something else comes in front of you and it's probably a person with, with, with a situation and they have needs and they have hurts. And they want to talk. And they want to pour out their lives. And then Jesus was in that exact same situation. And instead of turning away, he felt this compassion for them. And this is an amazing word in, in Greek. And I want you to know this word. The word compassion is splank nidzomai. Splunk, splunk nidzomai, and it comes from the Greek word splunknon, which means your intestines, your gut. I want you to understand Jesus felt the pain of others deep inside. He saw these people, and they weren't a list, they weren't a distraction, they were like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus feels it deeply within. You know, Jesus is merciful, Highland, because God is merciful. In this passage, I want you to understand that that Jesus has compassion for our pain because he has compassion for our souls. Jesus has compassion for our physical suffering because Jesus has compassion for our spiritual suffering. The entirety of the gospel, when Jesus comes to earth to minister, here is really the message of his ministry. I can heal your body, but come to me and I'll do better than that. I can heal your soul. This is Jesus who feels this deep pain within his gut that these are women and men and kids And they're like sheep without a shepherd. Mark chapter six, let me just read verse 37 again because I love hearing Jesus talk like this. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said back to him, shall we we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Now, Now that much denarii, 200 denarii, that's like eight months salary which probably still isn't enough for this crowd. Let me go and give you a little insight into the size of this crowd. If you want to, your eyes can cast down to to verse 44 of Mark chapter six. This is 5,000 men. All the gospel writers say this, 5,000 men. Matthew says not only is it 5,000 men, he says that does not even include the women and the children. So let's say 5,000 men, and let's, let's be, I'll even be conservative with this, probably 7,000 ladies, because you notice around Jesus, how many ladies come to minister to Jesus, to hear Jesus, to be around Jesus. And if you have that many men, that many women, husbands and, and wives, certainly there are kids there. In fact, we know later on, a kid actually offered up some, some, some bread and some fish. So let's say there's another 10,000, maybe 12,000 children there. So this is a crowd of, of 20,000 plus, maybe upwards to 25,000 people. And the disciples say, here, you know, all we have really with this all pulled together is like 200 denarii. Should we go and, and buy that worth of, of bread and give it to them to eat? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five, five loaves of bread and two fish. Now in John's account, because Mark is such a bottom line writer, John expands on that a little bit. They found a young boy, a young lad, it says in the New Testament, that had five loaves of bread and two fish. And Andrew actually went to him and asked for that and and, and took it back to Jesus and said what Mark is saying here. There there are five loaves and there, there, there are two fish. Now, I remember hearing that story as a kid going, five loaves of bread. 
What kind of crazy mom gives her little kid five loaves of bread? Because I grew up like H-E-B, a loaf of bread was like, like this. So five loaves of bread, that's, that's 50 sandwiches. How hefty of a kid is this? Or how long does he think Jesus is going to preach that mom sent with him sandwich makings for, for 50? Until you realize that that word loaves probably is better translated like, like a biscuit or, or a cracker. So, so here's a, a boy with, let's say, five biscuits or five large baked crackers and, and two fish. And when you hear two fish, think sardines, not bass. It was like, it was like pickled, pickled fish. It was like, like what we'd get today, sardines and, and crackers. That was actually a, a, a diet of the relatively poor in the times of Jesus. Just a, a pickled fish or two and these biscuits and these crackers. And so this is what is, what, what is brought to, to Jesus. So I, I used to think it was a crazy mom who overloaded her son with a lot of bread, but instead it was a wise mom who had the foresight to send some food along with her son as he went to hear this, this teacher in town. And so when he had found out, they said five and, and two fish, and I love verse 39, and he commanded them to sit down sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. Now that must've been one of those type of commands where there was no option but to sit down. I mean, the roar of the line of Judah says, sit down and everybody sits down. Even though there's probably 25,000 people there in this crushing crowd all jammed together, he commands them to separate, to, to sort out, get in groups of hundreds or groups of fifties. And they sit in those groups quickly so that there's now aisles for them to serve the food. I mean, these 25,000 people were either very obedient or very hungry at this point. And they wanted to sit down and see what was going to happen next. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And look at verse 41. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. And broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. He divided the two fish among them all. So if you can imagine even two sardines being just kind of broken up and given to the disciples first to, to then hand out. So two little, little fish, two little sardines among 12. That's very small portions. But I love, first of all, let's don't miss this, that, that Jesus, he, he takes these five loaves and these two fish and he looked up to heaven to acknowledge to his father that this food came from him. It is a good thing, Highland, for you and I in the daily blessings, the daily graces of life, for us to look up to heaven and to thank God for the blessing of, of even the small things, even, I don't like sardines, even sardines and, and, and crackers. He, he looked up to heaven because all food comes from the Lord. I mean, especially Chick-fil-A and VTEX, but all food comes from the Lord. And so he, he looks up and he asks God to, to, to bless this food. And look what it says here in, in verse, verse 42, after they had sent all that out and he divided the two fish among them, verse 42, and they all ate. That's an important word. They all ate and they were satisfied. Now the translators of the New Testament here in the ESV uses that word satisfied and that's really a nice way to put it because the greek word is the word gordadzo yes where we get our english word to gorge in fact gordadzo really means to strap a feed bag around an animal until it eats all the way to the bottom 
I eat like that often. I might this afternoon. Actually, just to, just to eat it all. This was how satisfying, how satisfying this food was. They, they gorge on this food. They eat it com- completely. Verse 43, and, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And verse 44 reminds us of the number again. But look at that. They picked up 12 baskets. Now, the word baskets here might, might be better rendered I'm sorry to mess up your Sunday school visual in your mind, but might better be rendered a bag or a travel bag where people could put clothes or put their food or put, put their snacks into. So it wasn't necessarily this, these big, perhaps woven baskets, but more of like a travel bag, something that you would carry, carry with you. Now, why, why 12 baskets left? Um, I'll help you with this. How many disciples were there? There were, there were 12. So when it was all done, the precision of this meal Highland is, is actually staggering. Jesus knows exactly how much to create so that everyone is gorged on the best bread and best fish they've ever had. That sounds like hyperbole, Pastor. What do you mean the best bread and, and the best fish? Well, this, these fish never swam. And this bread came from barley that was never planted in the ground. This is fish and bread that comes from God. If I may, it's uncursed fish. It's uncursed bread. It came from heaven. It came from the miraculous power of the presence of God in his son, Jesus. I would say that this, these fish had never fallen. These fish weren't, before, weren't after Genesis 3. These fish came from heaven. The, this bread wasn't after the fall of man and the fall of creation in Genesis 3. This bread came, came from heaven. So I bet it was absolutely the best fish and the best bread they had ever had before. And how much is left over? 12 traveling bags, exactly. 12 baskets, exactly. The precision of it and the complexity of it, both, Highland, they show us the providence and the sovereignty of God. And here is Jesus. Jesus, who orders the whole universe with perfect precision. And now these exhausted disciples, remember verse 31, they had not eaten. They were so tired. They had no free time to eat. Now these 12 disciples had 12 to-go boxes filled with fish and bread. What a caring Jesus we have. A Christ of, of compassion who even saw to it that his hungry disciples needed some food because there was no free time to eat. I, I think what I get from all of Mark chapter six, I'm gonna boil it down just to four words. It will make it easy for me to preach and all of us remember it easily this afternoon. Four words really that all of Mark chapter six boils down to this. We add, God multiplies. Did you see that the disciples, all they did was they added in their small obedience by going two by two. What did God do? He multiplied his ministry power. He he multiplied their ability to heal the sick and and to to cast out the, the unclean spirits. All the disciples had to do was just add in their steps of obedience. All the 25,000 people, all they had to do was add in the small obedience of sitting down in circles of 150s and Jesus did the rest. All of a sudden things began to multiply. All this young boy had to do was add in his five biscuits and his two sardines and God did the multiplication. You see, we add and God multiplies. How then this week can we add and watch God multiply? 
better put, as I have the last five weeks, what are some opportunities for us to holy sweat this week? Here's the first one that I have for us. We need some men to serve as disciple makers for Awana. As it stands right now, there's probably going to be 20 to 30, maybe 40 boys on a waiting list to be in Awana this fall semester unless we have five men step up. And here's what I'm asking, brothers, would you be willing to add an hour to your week of discipling and watch God multiply out some young followers of Christ? And we just need five that be willing to be trained. There will be training. Background check, there will be background checks. You will be supervised. You'll need to be a member of Highland or register for the next new member class at Highland the end of next month. But here's a way, men, brothers, that you can add in and watch God multiply. And I will commit to you, there will be sweat, holy and otherwise, I'm sure, involved with dealing with third to fifth grade boys. But certainly in a church this size, filled with men and women who are stout in their faith and understand scripture. What we're asking is for five men who'd be willing to help kids, boys, grow in scripture memory and grow in grace as young followers of Christ. I'll say it again. All we have to do is add and God does the multiplying. If you're interested in that, you can email me or email Joni or just find me when this gathering is over and we'll get you plugged in just five so that about 40 or 50 young boys, third through fifth grade can be discipled this fall semester and next spring semester through our Wednesday night Awana ministry. Here, here's the second thing because I know a lot of you are going, man, I'm, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm not a man. So, you know, whatever that might be, whatever your excuse might, might be, uh, here's something that, that none of us can escape. And that is, I'm asking all of us this year to sweat it out with setting our generosity to God. And now I'm talking money. And so I know some people literally will start sweating right now, but let me just, let me be very, very clear about this. It is a way for you and I just to add and then step back and watch God multiply. If you've given nothing to the church, let me rephrase that. If you've given nothing to the Lord through the church, like you're a zero percenter, can I challenge you this coming year, just starting this fall semester, next spring semester, for the next 12 months, would you give 5% of what you bring in? So it's a move from, from zero to five. And let me say this in love. I know it sounds like I'm, I'm being harsh when I say this, but 5% is still less than half of what a poor farmer was required to give before the cross of Christ. But, but, but 5%. If you're giving nothing, can I encourage you to set your generosity just to add so that God will multiply and give 5% to the Lord through the church for the ministries here and the missions that we support. And if you already give 5%, can I challenge you to sweat it out a little bit more and move from 5% to 10%, and, and you probably have noticed this, you've been around here for the six, last six years, I don't preach the tithe. I, I don't think God is asking for like exactly 10%. I think actually God is asking for upwards of 100%. And, and he'll tell you what that number is, but if you're giving zero, can I ask you to give 5%, just these next 12 months, if you give 5%, can I encourage you to, to double that, double your faith, double your giving and give 10%. And some of you, I know you're, you're, you're really good churchgoers, or let me just be more specific, you're really good Baptist and you give exactly 10%. Can I encourage you to go from 10% to, to 15%? And the reason I'm asking for us to set our generosity just for the next 12 months, because it's hard to fall down and worship something that you're constantly giving away. And you're going to worship one of these things, either God or your money. 
So says not the Baptist preacher, so says Jesus. So I would encourage you, all of us in this house today, for the next 12 months to give. If you're at zero, give five. If you're at five, give 10. If you're at 10, give 15. And let me tell you something. If Jesus does not give back to you, then call him a liar and never give again. But I know this is true. You will never, ever be able to outgive God. And when you give, this is Jesus. Jesus said, give, and it will be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. So can I encourage all of us to do that? In fact, inside of your handout this morning is a little set generosity insert card. And it kind of gives you the ways that you can, you can set generosity, ways that you can, can give to the Lord. And if you don't want to give online, there are other options. Yes, there are. I'm glad you asked. In the, in the chair back in front of you, there's a little yellow card. And that yellow card gives you four different ways that you can set your generosity to the Lord through the church. And again, I'm just saying, let's just practice this for 12 months. Let's just see what, what would happen in, in 12 months if we gave this way. And I, I know I've said this to you before. The reason we give you four different ways to give, because I don't want any of you in this house to go to heaven one day and to tell the Lord, well, I would have given, but that preacher never gave us any opportunities to give. I had no idea how to give. That excuse has now been taken away from you. There's at least four different ways that you can give. And some of you are thinking, wait a minute, isn't our budget already set? Aren't we doing okay? We're doing fine budget-wise. But you know that everything we give over the budget allows us to do more things. To send more, to to give more, to, to help more. We don't pad the salary of the staff when more money is given. It goes to ministry and to missions and to our neighborhood into the nations. And so I know, again, I know some of you are sweating and it's probably not holy at all right now. You're just sweating. You're like, man, please get off the money thing. I'm just saying, what it look like for 12 months for all of us to give together, all of us, not just 20% giving the 80%, but all of us to give together. And here's, here's the third thing. I mean, I'm so excited about this and I may be more passionate about this than anything else. This week, let's pack a truck to bless the border and to bless a church on the border. I would love for us as a church this week, and you'll, you'll see all the things we're, we're going to be giving in a few moments. I love for us as a church this week, starting tomorrow morning. Tomorrow, Pastor Jerry and I are going to go pick up a U-Haul 24-foot truck, and we're going to park it over here by, by door E, and we're going to roll the back of that truck up. And so every day this week from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., we're going to ask for you to bring these items. There's a church called West Brownsville Baptist Church, or West Brownsville Iglesia Bautista, Spanish-speaking church, there on the border. Uh, pastor Carlos Navarro is the pastor there. And he has opened up his church for families who are in crisis there on the border. Now, some of you need to hear this. Some of you don't care to hear this. But these are, are families that have come up from Central America. They have gone through the process of seeking asylum. They have been allowed into the States. And then it's kind of that, what, what now? Where do we go? And and these are the families that have been separated. They've been hurt. They have been hungry. And so this church, they have made it their mission. In fact, their number one mission to open up the doors of this church to bring in people who are hurting. So the Texas Baptist men, they have brought down trailers of portable showers. So people come to this church for nine hours a day and they get showers and they get food. And this is my favorite part. Pastor Carlos has been preaching the gospel to all the men and all the boys and his wife's been preaching the gospel to all the ladies and all the girls. And Pastor Navarro told us this week that about 250 people a week in his church are receiving Christ as Savior. They're believing upon the gospel. 
And I know, I am, my gosh, I'm fully aware this is a political hot potato, but there is a humanitarian crisis on our border. And whether you're a Democrat or Republican, here's my stance. Let's let the politicians deal with what good politicians should be doing, which is leading and making decisions. But listen, the church should be the church in the meantime for us to care for people there on the border, for us to love them. In Matthew chapter 25, you know what we're asked? We're asked about the least of these. We're asked about those that had no food. We're asked about those who had no clothes. We're asked about those who had no one there to welcome them. No one there to extend a hand of compassion. So this week, let's let's pack that truck. And and someone asked me after the first game this morning, hey, hey pastor, we're gonna pack that truck. Like what's plan B? Like what are we gonna do after that truck is packed? And we need to send something else down there. So let me make sure we're clear on this. There's only five things we need to bring. If you're one of those people that love six things, then put that six thing somewhere else, please. We just need five things. Here's, here's the five things we need. One, a, a gallon Ziploc bagging. This is what, what Pastor Navarro has requested from Highland Baptist to send to Brownsville Iglesia Bautista. Bautista. We got the gallon of Ziploc baggies and we need a drawstring backpack. So let me, let me show you what a drawstring backpack is real quick. Thanks, brother. This is a drawstring backpack. So you can get these at Walmart, at Target. If you're a, a Prime with Amazon, you can order this afternoon and probably have it by tomorrow afternoon, if not Tuesday. And so this is a string backpack. So I'm, let me put on the screen so you can kind of see a little bit closer. Uh, a string backpack is what's on the left. A regular school backpack is what's on the right. So let me kind of give you a few little indications there of what we need. We need a green check mark by the string. There you go. And the X by those of y'all who are either slower learners or visual learners. I'm hoping that that kind of helps a little bit. And so you can get a string backpack. This is exactly what what Pastor Navarro said that they want from us is is a drawstring backpack that looks just like that. Here's the third thing. We need snacks that don't melt. So anything like they were asking for like trail mix, but without chocolate or like you know, protein bars or granola bars, anything that's not going to get really nasty in a, in a hot truck, in a, in a hot town, in the hot part of the summer. So any snacks that, that we can bring this week. Here's the fourth thing is packaged new underwear. I'm not going to model that for you. I'll just model this for you, but packaged new underwear. And they did ask for it to be like in smaller sizes. And so new packaged underwear. And the fifth thing they're asking for, and I know there's probably a lot of extra in, in this house is, is baseball hats. Now they don't have to be brand new, but at least not stained and old and, and ripped. Those are the five things that they're asking for. So here's what's going to happen. Again, we'll pick up that truck tomorrow morning. We'll have it here at the church from nine o'clock to six o'clock. Um, Monday through Thursday, and then Friday morning about 3.30 a.m., uh, my son Caleb and I are going to jump in that truck and drive it to the border. I think we've figured out 16 hours round trip. We're going to take that truck, I pray, filled to the very, very top, filled with these things so that we might be a blessing. And here's the reason I would love for that, that truck to be filled, because Pastor Navarro told us this week that their church gathers around these items and prays over them before they're sent out to these families who are in crisis. And I'll just say it one more time. I'm sure I'm gonna get a few emails. Let's let politicians be politicians, but let the church be the church during a really difficult time in the life of our nation, especially in our state and especially around the border. Again, Monday through Thursday, this week, nine o'clock to six o'clock. If you come Friday at 
4.30 a.m., it's, it's too late. So we got four days, Highland, to, to fill this truck up. Here's, here's what I'm saying. We add and God multiplies. Men, we need some of you to add an hour to your week of discipling and watch God multiply. I'm asking all of you to add to giving for the next 12, just do it for 12 months. And let's watch God multiply. Let's pack up a truck with drawstring backpacks and snacks that don't melt and Ziploc zip lock gallon baggies and baseball hats and new packaged underwear. And let's fill that up. Let's, let's, let's add and let's watch God multiply. Would you stand with me, please? And let's pray together. God, this is true of everything except salvation. We don't add a thing. And we bring to you our sin, our spiritual death. We bring to you our disobedience, our depravity, our dark hearts. And then because your grace is a multiplier, you give us grace multiplied by grace, grace upon grace. And by your mercy, you cause us to become alive in Christ. But now, now that we're alive in Christ, we get to add every day. We could add good works and add good works, then add good works. Then God, you take those good works that we add and you multiply them. And the kingdom is growing and lives are seeing the good news. So God, I pray that you'd give us that principle deep in our heart, not just for this week, but for this life. It is our joy to add and it is our amazement to watch you multiply. So God, would you move in our hearts now? I'm not even sure what that looks like after this message. God, maybe you'd remind us, Lord, just to add this week. Maybe for some men, Holy Spirit, you're speaking to them right now that it's, it's time for them to step up and to disciple some third through fifth grade boys this year. God, here's our hearts. Would you take them and seal them for your courts above? Jesus, we thank you that you have compassion on us. You hurt for us in our physical pain because you have so much compassion about our spiritual lostness before Christ. And Jesus, you're filled with mercy. It's just a reflection of a God who is filled with mercy toward everyone in this room and everyone in this city and everyone in this nation and filled with compassion toward everyone on the border and filled with compassion for a world that is longing for hope and life and grace and freedom and forgiveness. So Jesus, all we know to do is just say, we need you. Every moment of every hour, we need you. It's through Christ that we pray and we believe and that we seal this word in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. In Christ we pray.